How you doing? <laughs> there was a bus driver who drove students back and forth to school and to events, and he had a placard up above his head that had a list of rules. How many of you ever rode the school bus? You've, you've, you have that experience? You, and the bus driver was up there. He had this list of rules above his head that said, I will not bite, I will not punch, and I will not kick. But then underneath that list, it said, because I am the bus driver. <laughs> and it became obvious as you read it, oh, it's a joke. But it was a joke that played off of a reality. And we all understand that our roles that we take on in life carry with them a certain responsibility. So by taking the role of a bus driver, I take on responsibilities, the least of which is that I will not bite the people on my bus, <laughs> right? But all of us, as we enter into certain roles, whatever they may be, we take uh, with them um, some responsibilities. And we all believe uh, that certain identities take on certain activities. Who we are informs what we do. And I say all of that because that's where we are in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a manifesto to the people of the Messiah, the guiding principles to the people of God. And that's to say, if we believe and we have this relationship with God through Jesus, it should affect how we live in the world. This new role carries with it new responsibilities. And so this identity has expected activities. And our activity precedes that identity. And so we started with that last week. And, and as our key text, we grabbed 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Would you please stand with me this morning, if you can, as we honor the reading of God's word to us? This is what it says. Live as, free, live as people who are free, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. And then, we, then he gives us these guiding parameters. The servants of God we honor everyone. That's what we talked about last week. And now today, we love the brotherhood, we fear God, and we honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your words to us this morning. We just ask you, um, Lord, to break in and to speak to us in, in a very real and present way this morning. We know that you're here. Holy Spirit, um, just uh, give us the presence of mind to, to listen. God, we, we give you our time this morning. We worship you. You're worthy of our praise. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. So it's, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel was set free from slavery, they suddenly have this freedom from the tyranny of Pharaoh. But now the question was to them, how do we use that freedom? Do we just, you know, all do whatever we feel like doing? Do we take advantage of each other? Um, let there be anarchy, you know, out here in the desert, or do we as a community decide with this new liberty that we will now use it to build a beautiful society? And one where we don't use each other, but we serve each other and we create an environment where everybody can win. And that's what they tried to do. That's, that's what we're meant to do as, as people who've been liberated by God and free from the condemnation of our sin, free from trying to earn approval and acceptance, we're free because of the grace of Jesus, right? Now, how do we live? fulfilling our own selfish desires or serving the God who set us free. And so we believe what Bob Dylan's saying, you're gonna have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, <laughs> but you're gonna have to serve somebody. And our freedom is that we've changed masters to a God who loves us and he gave his life 
for us. And so we live as servants of God. But how do you serve God? By loving what he loves. And he loves people. So to serve God means that I honor everyone. Whether you agree with me or not, I honor you because you're made in his image. And now today we've got our second guiding principle. We love the brotherhood. We love the brotherhood. I honor everybody, but there's a particular class of people that I set my unique affection upon. I love the brotherhood. And my brotherhood here, he's talking about the church, brothers and sisters in Jesus. And 160 times in the New Testament, the people who put their faith in Jesus are called family. Family. 160 times. God wants us to see each other that way. We're family. And as family, we love each other. Don't be put off by the fact that he uses the word brotherhood. It's not excluding women. In in the original language, um, it's actually trying to carry the idea of familial bonds that don't necessarily have the obligations of hierarchy or, or the implications of romance. So it's not like your father and child, I have to take care of you, um, or romantic, uh, you know, I desire something from you. It's brothers and sisters. Brothers don't have to financially care for each other, uh, but our situation has put us together So we make the choice to care about one another. That idea that I love you as my brother or my sister is meant to carry into the family. So we're connected and so I care. Um, There's a great story in the early 1900s America of a boys home uh, called Boys Town. And it was a place uh, for homeless boys to find a home. And these priests took them and, and created a family of these once disparate kids. Uh, Within that family of kids, there was a boy that had polio, and as such, he was wearing leg braces, and he had trouble, therefore, climbing stairs. And so one of the fathers and priests, he was rounding a corner, and he saw one of the young boys that's part of the home hoisting that boy with leg braces onto his back and carrying him up the stairs. And so the father, the priest, stopped him and said, hey, you don't have to do that. You, it's not your responsibility. It's not a requirement of being here. Like, are you okay? Is he hard to carry? Is is he too heavy? And the young boy was confused by the question. And he said, no, he's not heavy. He's my brother. He's not heavy. He's my brother that I don't even think of it in terms of obligation. He's family. And so I'm willing to take on pain for his good. We've lost much of that in our culture today, but much of our military community gets it, right? I understand that if you're in the trenches with me, we may disagree at times. I may not even you know, connect with your personality. You and I might not even like each other at times, um, but our situation has put us together and our choice is that we're brothers. And so I'll give my life for you. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'll give my life for you. And there's no inconvenience that I wouldn't take on because you're family. You're, you're not heavy. You're my brother. That's how Christ, the Christian is meant to feel about another believer, that I would lay my life down for you. But now let's talk about the, the obvious question. Why would I do that? Why do I want to love my brother? And the, and the truth is, some of us are wondering, why would we do that if sometimes our Christian brothers and sisters are a huge hassle, <laughs> right? This week, we're going to look back in chapter one of 1 Peter, and we're going to see Peter give us some whys and some hows about loving each other. God's saying, as a function of loving me, 
love the brothers. They're not too heavy. They're your brother. They're your sister. If I'm meant to love them that way, why would I do it and how do I do it? Because great what's only happen because of great why's, right? Give me a great why that will compel me to lay my life down for them or for you know, him or her and then give me some pointers on how to do it well. That's what we're going to do this morning. So, And the reality is Peter was writing to a community that had been scattered because of persecution. They were facing difficult financially. And they were internally facing some difficulty because of their disagreements about how to handle the government at the time. Uh, That's the community that Peter was talking to. And some of you may be saying, Sean, you know, a church that's scattered and can't meet together, that has financial stress and has disagreements about the government, what does that have to do with us? Just take it by faith, by the grace of God. (laughs) These words spoken to this community long ago are going to help us navigate um, our day-to-day. And we learned last week to honor everyone. And now we're going to see why and how to love our brother, love our sister. And so we're going to get five points here. He's going to intersperse the whys in the house. So we'll get three whys and two hows as we move through this together. We're going to start with verse 22 and verse 23. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. I don't know about you, but the, you know, the first time I, I read that through, I, I kind of think that it's kind of confusing. It's just kind of like, Bible-y, Bible-y, bible love each other. <laughs> and so let's break it down just a little bit. In verse 22 and verse 23, they, they start, we're going to go to English class this morning. They start with participles. And what a, what a participle is, class, is it's a verb that participates in the main verb, right? Am I right? <laughs> okay. The main verb was the command, love. And so, and what we have is the other two verbs that participate in that verb love. They help fill out the why and the how. And so our first why, why should we love each other? It's locked up in that participle in verse 22. If you're taking notes, the first why we should love the brotherhood is simply because we are family. I know if you're here last week, that was one of the fill in the blank points. It it is again this week because it's important. Because we're family. In verse 22, this is what it says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, I summarize that as we are family, even though it's, it's maybe not that clear. But I can do that because all through this text so far, if we're reading back, if we read it all in context, Peter has been establishing this metaphor that we're family. He's called God Father uh, three times so far. By the time we get to this verse, he says, you've been born again twice. Um, because you're a newborn baby child, you're an heir. And now you're brothers. He's talking about the brotherhood. He's working this imagery. We are family because of what God the Father has done through Jesus the son. And so you've been born again by the grace of Jesus. And it's this metaphor, but what does being born again mean? We're, we're, we're like Nicodemus sitting with Jesus. How do I get right with God? What does God want from me? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And, and Nicodemus, you know, kind of says, well, I don't think mom's going to be up for that. You know, <laughs> I don't understand the metaphor. And, and what you see in verse 22 is Peter explaining in very practical terms, what happened when you and I 
were born again. When we became children as adults, born into the family of God, he says, having purified your souls. That word purify here means to consecrate and to set apart. It means I was out there and now I've moved over here and I've, I've, I've been set apart into something positionally. I've changed. My identity has been adjusted. My role has been reversed. I've become something else. I've consecrated myself. I, I was out in the public square. Now I'm personally in this relationship. Something shifted in me and I've never been the same. I consecrated my soul. Well, how do you do that? Well, he says, by your obedience to the truth. You, you heard the truth. Someone spoke the, the word of truth to you or shared the message with you and you believed it. Not only did you believe it, but you've obeyed it. It's a richer word and it's not just I intellectually kind of assented to some facts. Yeah, I think that's true. It's that I heard it and I thought, that's right. And the life changes, my life changes, your life changes as a result. And actually everything about me changes. I don't just hear the word, I put myself under this word and I obey it. I don't hold this truth, but the truth holds me. The truth holds me. And so you go, well, what's the truth that changed everything about me? It's all unpacked in the previous verse. Let me just read that. It says, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. What's the truth that changed you? It's that I know that Jesus ransomed me and he saved my life and he bought me out of jeopardy. How did he do it? He didn't pay for my ransom with gold or silver. He paid for it with his blood. That's what we remember this morning in time. He bled out for me so that I could live. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I, I, I read that text and I think of the situation. Say, say you're at a dinner party and I just imagine being at a dinner party and you know um, one of, one of us, as one of you have shown up and inv inevitably what happens is you start introducing people to make connections. Somebody's um, introducing a friend to you and they always tell you, you know, who they are, who they, that person is uh, to them. So, and you have hopefully you know, an appropriate response. So you, you know, come up to somebody, hey, I'd like you to meet my, you know, colleague. Um, well, I'd be delighted. Or I'd, I'd like you to introduce you to my boss. Okay, good to meet you. Hey, this is my sister. Oh, that's cool that you're in town, right? But imagine being at a party and you say, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody. He saved my life. I'd be dead if it wasn't for him, right? I guarantee you, whatever party you're at, whatever the guy says next, it's gonna be your most interesting story all night long. I'm meeting the person who saved your life, what? And what Peter is saying is, Jesus Christ wasn't just some motivational figure that sideways with the wrong people and ended up martyred. But, but that what he did on earth was transactional. He lived a perfect life for me. And when he went to that cross, he was doing something for me, right? He lived before the foundation of the world, but he became man for my sake. He came here for me and, and he understood that my sin was gonna condemn me. And so he took that condemnation on himself and he understood the punishment for sin was gonna land on me. So he stepped in front of me and he took the hit. He bled out. For me, he died so that I could live. He laid down his life for me. 
And when I understand that, that what he did on the cross purchased freedom for me, purchased family for me, did something to me. I, I didn't just hold the truth, but the truth held me. I didn't just hear that truth, but it changed me and it set me apart to become something to new. So we, we honor something like that. There's nothing more precious than giving your life for someone. And the truth that we're hearing here is that Jesus Christ, the God man, gave his life for you. And for me, and that's, that's, that's why we get baptized. That's why baptism is part of, of our story. And in, in the early church, they would position it, the, the act of uh, water baptism, almost as dramatically as they could. They, they, they said, it consecrates me, and it changes me when I understand that he gave his life for me. So they would come to that water, and they would physically, they would strip off every insignia. <laughs> <Whoa. laughs> <Woo. laughs> that represented their old life. Yeah, it's like a party. <laughs> Perfect timing. They would enter that water with the picture of I'm buried with him and I rose with him. And then they would step out and, that they, and they were wrapped in new clothes. Everything about me changed because of him. And then um, the, they would step out and on the other side, there would be waiting on the side of the water a whole community of people, the church, the brotherhood. And it was the community of people who understood what Christ had done for them. It was the community of Jesus. It was, it was the family of the faith. And it was the idea that when I committed myself to him and I rose from the water, I suddenly introduced myself to everybody else who, laid out, um, who he laid out his life for. And so I suddenly became part of a band of brothers and sisters knit together because of the sacrifice of Christ. You see that? I've been consecrated, it says, by my obedience to the truth and to a sincere brotherly love. What Jesus purchased was my participation in his people. You hear that this morning? I became part of a brotherhood, part of a family of those who knew what it was to have their life laid down for him. Jesus Christ, on the night that he knew he was going to the cross, what's the one thing he talked about more than anything else? What did he say? I want you to get along. I want you to love each other. Do you love me? Any love that you feel for me, I want you to extend it to one another. When he was hanging on that cross, he looked down at his mother and one of the disciples there and he said, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And from that time on, that disciple took her into his home. With his last breath, Jesus' concern was, any care that you have for me, extend it to one another. The heart of our king was for us to love each other. And when we understand that, then we know to serve him is to love us. We've been consecrated into a sincere brotherly love. What he wants is for you to get along. For me, as a dad, what I want for my kids is for them to love each other, right? And Jesus says, I gave my life to create an us. Now, what I want from us is to love us, love each other. Let it be brotherly. Let it be an affection that's familial and let it be sincere. Don't be fake. I want you to actually really love each other. As, as we keep on reading, Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He's saying, let our love be sincere. It's the Latin word sincere, which means without cracks. It's a marketplace term and it's talking about pottery. 
that if someone was gonna sell pottery in the marketplace, you don't know if they might've dropped it before um, and it's cracked because if they did, sometimes what they would do is they would just kind of glue it back together and they would cover it with wax. So it would be constitutionally weaker, but you wouldn't necessarily see that when it's sitting on the display. And um, it would fail you when you put something in it, though. So you, but they, they, would, they would kind of just cover it up, and they would try to sell it to you at full price. And so if you were buying pottery, you would submit the pottery to what they call a sun test. You would hold it up to see if you could see, does this have integrity or are there cracks so I can see the light of the sun through? Is it cracked? And what you're looking for is to see if it was sincere without weak or thin spots or cracks. To be sincere basically means to have no wax in your cracks. <laughs> and Peter says, your love is meant to be sincere, true, wholehearted, from a pure heart. It says in verse 22, fully integrated, not marbled with bitterness, not colored with resentments. We have a pure, robust, wholehearted love for those who our Savior came to redeem. So we love because we're family. I remember when we told our four daughters that we were going to have a baby boy, and my little girls loved their baby brother, Zion, before he was even born, year 2010. And they didn't know anything about him. They, they, you know, if he'd be shy or active or play on the playground or, you know, kind of grab the spotlight, all they knew is that he was coming from mom and dad. He was coming from the same parents and he was part of the same family, right? And so they loved him and they couldn't wait to meet him and welcome him into the world. Come here, baby brother, and let us show you the life that our parents have built for us, Right? The same thing happened when we first met Darian and Lazarus, who we adopted into our family. We made it a big deal. We got the girls out of school so that they could be there that day when they first came to our house and they were welcomed and they were celebrated in. And that's the feeling that we're supposed to have every time somebody wakes up to the grace of God and believes. That's the feeling. They don't just have a relationship with him, but they have a relationship with us. Welcome to the world, baby brother. It's a pleasure to meet you, sister. Let us welcome you into the house of God, right? So we love because we're family. And how do we do that? We pursue the positive. This is what he says. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And that's the command. He's made you for sincere brotherly love. So you own it. He gave it to you. Lean into it. He purchased the family. So you pursue it. And I love the way that he says to do it. He says, earnestly. The word earnestly here in the Greek is ektenos. And it means stretched out. Don't just love with some kind of general sentiment. You know, I care for all of God's creatures. But he says, love like you're running a race and you want to win. <laughs> if you're in the Olympics, you don't just go, you know, I think I'm going to take it about three-fourths speed. Right? You didn't know you're pushing every fiber and stretching out for the finish line. You may even jump to sail your body across the finish line. And Peter says, I don't want you to love half-hearted. I, I don't want you to say, well, propositionally, I care for all those that Jesus loves. You say, no, because I love him, I love them. And that's not passive, it's active. I love, I love earnestly. I'm, I'm looking for ways to serve. So, are you looking for ways to love us? 
Are you waking up every day thinking, who can I text today? Who can I encourage today? When you learn something from the word of God that challenges you, who can I share this with today? When you make a little extra money, you go, you know, who's gonna be blessed because I was blessed today? That's what the Christian does. They look for ways to love. Not too long ago, I was, I was reading an, an article about a, a, how a pastor's office is misnamed, that it should uh, much more appropriately be called a pastor's study. Um, a place where I go in private to dwell, you know, in God's word, to soak in his presence, to, you know, listen to Holy Spirit, uh, just a place, much, much more a place of, of communion and connection with God more than just a place of admin work and kind of day-to-day office stuff, less business-like and more set apart. And um, I shared the, the article on Facebook and commented something about it. And the very next day I came to my office door and then I found this outside of my door. And did you guys see that? I mean, I tear up at the thoughtfulness and the genuineness of it. And I thought, who thinks of stuff like that? Oh yeah, Derek and Pam Brown. Because they love like that, right? And, and because their love prompts them to find ways to stretch out and to communicate that love. And we're meant to do the same. One of my favorite things about our church all throughout this, this last season of coronavirus, I've heard of stories of people, you know, who maybe got really physically sick um, or others that lost loved ones. And as a staff, we're thinking all the way through this thing, you know, okay, we've got to shepherd people that are in need. Um, but inevitably, as our staff was moving around and, you know, okay, so-and-so got hurt or suffered through a loss uh, this year, so is anybody taking care of them? And as we ask the community or the connect groups, they go, oh man, yeah, what we found out a lot of times is that folks have already signed up and they had meals delivered and, and there's people praying for them and there's people bringing in, you know, lunch and dinner. People that are knit together in the family they're there for each other when the family suffers. And, and I want to challenge you this morning, are you knit together with us? Do people know you? Are you a part of each other's lives? If we are family, then we love earnestly and we pursue the positive from a pure heart. I love that because it means that love isn't just a verb. It's not just things that I do out here. He says, I love that. I want that love to be pure and I want you to really care. And that's an internal challenge. It's interesting, a, a lot of hows are, are not so much the external implications. It's saying you want to know the best way to love us, you tend to the garden of your own heart, right? But, but are you planting seeds of affection for us? See, it's interesting. Some of us go, but I can't help what I love. But you actually can. When, what you love is more influenced uh, by your surroundings than you realize. The food you like, the music you like, what clothes that you think are cool, right? Um, you're, you've been far more culturally influenced than what any of us want to admit. And, and the reality is, if you want to love us, what are you putting into your mind? What words are you soaking in? You're meant to attend to the soul of your heart. So th- to think about the fact that Christ purchased us and to think about the fact that Christ died for that coworker, to think about this, that same Jesus that loves you, loves him. And as you settle your mind on those realities, you feed your soul with an affection for us. You're meant to love us, not just the external action, but the internal motivation. It's supposed to be this real thing. You're, you pursue the positive. I want a heart that loves so that I have a, a life that loves. And, and why do I do that? Number three is because we're family forever. 
We're family so we can pursue the positive. That's, that's what he says in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes this, these Old Testament texts about how the flesh is like a grass that withers and dies, but this seed doesn't. <laughs> he says, when the seed of the word of God that, that truth landed in you when it sprouts into life and what it creates exists forever. The family of God exists forever. The reason we love believers with a peculiar and particular kind of love is because this family goes on forever. Every other institution that you're a part of will stop. Your sorority, your sports team, your political party, your association, your job, even your nation, it will fall, it will fail, it will eventually fade, it will go away. The only institution that exists throughout eternity is the family that Jesus built. So what that means is we better get used to the idea of loving us because we're gonna see us for a really long time. It's not just until death do us part. We're together for the long haul. So he says, why not start loving us now? <laughs> we're gonna be family forever. Jesus purchased a family that's gonna live throughout eternity. So it just makes sense to figure out how to love you now because I'm gonna see you in heaven. And, and when we see each other, I don't wanna be like, Oh, yeah, 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 I really swindled him in a business deal. I mean, you know, we forgive each other now, but yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I mean, I know when we get to that heavenly place that God's gonna make all things new. Uh, but why would I wait for that to happen? You don't wanna be like, oh my gosh, we're here together, we met on a dating app, and then I ghosted her. <laughs> we, but here we are right now, and we have the opportunity to love each other right now because we are gonna see each other later. We're family forever and it's an enduring family. And the same seed isn't just enduring, it's empowering. The seed of God's word is so powerful that it can produce in us this kind of love. It's the seed of the word that when it plants in us, Paul says it this way, it's like a living and active work in us. So when we believe the truth, it landed in us and it does change our affections and it does change our heart and it made us a family. So we pursue love earnestly. It made us a family forever. And so we lean into that. And number four, your next how is we uproot the negative. If God has put us in us something beautifully positive, we uproot everything negative. He's, if he's planted the word of truth in the soil of our soul, we uproot from our soul anything that would be antisocial. And so you get into chapter two, verse one. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander because your family put away, have nothing to do with anything that would unravel community. If Jesus died to build a society, I will not pursue antisocial behavior. If he built the community, I will not unravel it. And any activity that would threaten this community, I go to war against it inside of me. If there's something in me that is antisocial, I pull it all down. I will not entertain that which would destroy that which he loves. And so he says, I get rid of malice. I get rid of it. I uproot it. Malice here is the intent to do harm. It's not an external act, but it's in here. It says, if I love Jesus and he wants me to love them, that I will not harbor in my soul any intent to hurt you. And I love the, the, that metaphor of gardening the heart of our soul. It's, it's I, I won't let a root of bitterness grow because I know bitterness will cause distance in a relationship. So if, if I feel bitter against you, I need to uproot it. I will not let resentment harbor in my soul. The best way to love us is to tend to my soul. And if bitterness wants to harbor there, 
hey, you hurt me, so I'm gonna hold on to bitterness. Uh, that's antisocial. Regardless of what you did, I will then become part of the problem. You see that? If I harbor bitterness. So out of love for you, I will not hold on to malice. I will not feed the malcontent. I'll let it go. The verb harbor often gets put alongside the word bitterness. And, and we say that someone harbors bitterness, right? Because it pulls up this picture of, of a harbor. And, and what's a harbor? It's, it's where a boat comes in the dock to find a port to rest, right? And maybe it throws out a rope and maybe it tethers so it can linger there for a while. How many of us do that with bitterness? We hold on to it. It takes, kind of tries to anchor itself in the harbor. If someone hurts me in the church or in a relationship and inevitably we will hurt each other, it's part of life, right? I, I, I'm not gonna harbor malice. I'm not gonna let it pull up into my heart and throw out a rope and let it stay for a while. But you say, what they did to her was rude. That may be, but I'm still not gonna invite malice off the boat to come and sit and eat crab legs with me. I won't harbor bitterness. If I feel bitterness trying to come up and harbor in my soul, I'm gonna tell them, you can't be here. And if someone throws me the rope, I'm throwing it back. If it tries to come in, I'm taking the boat back out. That's the way I love you, is tending to the soil of my own heart, and I won't let malice stay in there. I won't let it grow because it'll turn into deceit. Deceit is an intent to mislead, that I would suddenly start to amend data. I'll, I'll leave out the facts that don't fit my predetermined narrative. I'll put in facts and assume motives that fit my predetermined narrative, which is basically all of the internet right now. <laughs> But it's also the way that we treat each other sometimes. If someone hurts your feelings and you harbor malice, you may say, they always do that. And then you may start to believe things that you can't know. Their motive is that they don't care about me. They're, they're, they, just don't, they just care about them. Uh, this church is a fake. And you begin to believe things that aren't untrue. And so then maybe when you talk to people, you say things, oh, that person doesn't care about us but you don't know how they feel and you're assuming something that you can't know or maybe you meet somebody and they hurt your feelings and so when you're talking to them, you amend what you share with them, right? You, you don't tell them all the facts about a situation. You lie and you deceive. And it's interesting, the book of Proverbs calls lying the opposite of love. If I love you, I want the truth for you. Why? Because the truth helps you orient to reality. So if I hold back from you some facts about reality, I keep you from being able to move forward. So if you hurt my feelings and I don't tell you and I harbor bitterness, I hold on to it. Uh, maybe I slander you to others, which is talking bad. I keep you from being able to repent and repair a relationship. And so I disadvantage you. You, you. you might have hurt me initially, but my choice to deceive you and harbor resentment, now I've become a cancer in the church. And Peter here is saying, you wanna love us, you pursue the positive and you uproot the negative and we speak the truth in love. I can tell someone, hey, when you said this, it hurt me. It hurt me. And I'm telling you this not to make you feel bad, but because I value our relationship. And I, I don't want this bitterness to become a root that grows into a tree that begins to separate us. And so I want to get past it so that we can heal and the bonds of family can grow stronger. So love will lead me into hard conversations for the sake of the community that Christ purchased. So I don't harbor malice. 
I don't deceive, I don't mess with hypocrisy. I'm not gonna be fake. I'm not gonna play like things are fine when they really are not. I'm not gonna act like I love you when I really despise you. I'm not gonna envy you or slander you. Slander again, it means I'm talking nice about you to your face, but then I'm ripping you to shreds around other people. And, and rather than, than calling that person or reaching out and saying, hey man, you know, when you said that, it hurt my feelings. What do we do? We tell 10 other people, did you see what so-and-so did? Did you see that? Did you hear that? And maybe what they said was wrong, but what you're choosing to do is to slander them to 10 other people. And what are you doing? You're sowing disunity into a community that God built for unity. You have now become a problem and you become a cancer in the body. We don't do that out of love for him. We love us and that means you uproot slander, uproot that talk, which means you uproot envy. That's another one. Envy is, I want what you have and I resent you for having it. You've got more friends than me, so I don't like you. You've got more followers than me, so I resent you. And envy is dangerous things. So he says, we don't envy. We, he didn't tell us how not to envy, but, but can I just tell you real quick, for me, I found that prayer helps with not envying. And by that, I don't mean praying that God would smite them or take away the things that make you envy. I mean that when I envy somebody, I pray that God would bless their devotional time with him, bless their life, bless their marriage, bless their relationships. Because I found, this is the thing I found, it's hard to envy someone and bless them at the same time. And I realized if I let envy fester in my soul, it becomes a wound that can hurt the whole body. And so for me, I put the ointment of prayer over it. And I take that bitter root of envy and I rip it out. So it won't affect how I treat you. And let me just say this because maybe somebody here needs to hear it. If somebody's activity on social media is hurting your feelings or it makes you a little bit angry, you need to pray before you post, before you comment. We need to pray for each other and then seek what's the most redemptive way to love each other. I'm gonna uproot negativity. I'm gonna pursue the positive. Why? Here's the last reason. And this is the crux of it for me because we are the place they meet God. If you want to put it another way, we are the home that they come home to. We are the home that they come home to. That's his last motivation. Why do we love the brotherhood so much? Well, Christ died and so we're family and we're family forever. So we pursue it positively and we uproot this negativity. But ultimately what he says here is when we love like this, it will make other people want to join us. And God wants other people to join us because he wants them to know him. And the way that they will know him is when they see him in us. We are the home that they come home to and we're gonna get ready to pray. Uh, in just a minute. And as we come to the close, Peter switches metaphors here. And he says, you put all of this away because as you come to him, it says a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And then he says, the reason, the why we love each other 
is when Christ laid down his life, when we come to faith, we are like stones that he stacks together. And our love is the mortar that holds each other. And the more we stack up as a loving house, we become this monument, but not just a monument to Jesus. He says, we become a temple of worship to Jesus, not a physical building, but our relational love. And it's a temple that's meant to be a priesthood. What did priests do? They helped others connect to God, right? He says, what happens is as we love each other, we become a house that they come home to. Isn't that great? As we love each other, we become a priesthood that reaches out to them and says, come in here and see what we have found. And listen, nobody wants to join a community that's rude and nobody wants to be in a party that's lame. No one wants to join a family that's mean to each other all the time. So Jesus says very practically, love one another. Why? So that they will see my love for them. If you can't do it for the sake of each other, at least do it for the sake of the people who are trying to find life in so many broken and empty and vacant places. And right now they're desperately rowing in their boats in the dark, looking for a lighthouse to come home to. So be that light, be that city on the hill by loving each other. And they'll know that we belong to him by the way that we treat us. And when we love well, they'll wanna come and see what we found. I've heard about some churches um, who call their volunteers um, door holders. And it's a metaphor, and it's a, it's a, but it's a good one. We, we hold the door open to invite you to meet the God who changed us. That's why we serve. I'm a door holder. That's what Peter's talking about. And every single weekend when you come in the door at 10 a.m. when service starts, someone has been here, of course, you know, around the week vacuuming the carpets and washing the nursery toys and cleaning the bathrooms. Our volunteers or our door holders, if we wanna call them that, they, they show up around 8.45 on a Sunday morning. And that's when the worship team gets here and Royce's team that makes the coffee. Pastor Lyle, when it snows, is here and he's shoveling, uh, you know, whatever the plow didn't get. We have nursery, uh, volunteers that serve in the nursery every week so that uh, parents have a place uh, to worship in here and babies and toddlers have a safe place. And we, we have connect group leaders all throughout the week that lead uh, several times a week. We have a greeting team that opens the door and says, hi. <laughs> And if you don't know anyone, uh, uh, the people that would walk you around and introduce you to some people and, and get you some coffee, we have faithful volunteers who do that every single week. They're loving people. And that's really, honestly, how the church grows, by loving people. Not because of a physical building, as cool as a building is. It's all because of the spiritual building of our love. And people have come to me and, and said, and you've probably heard this too, I wanna be a part of what's happening um, here in the church I wanna because I see the way that you love each other. Why is it like that? And do, do you know why we love each other? Because we're built on the foundation that Jesus Christ gave for us. He purchased us into a sincere brotherly love. So we love each other. Last story, and then we're done. I heard the story of this week that I loved about a, a mobile church that was meeting in a theater and they showed up to prepare for service, but the AC had failed when they got there and it was 90 degrees inside the building. 
and you can't pack people into building that hot safely. And so they realized pretty quickly, we can't meet in the regular way. People are coming, uh, but we can't go in there. So they thought any money that we were gonna spend um, inside the venue on lights and, and sound, let's quickly send the, every volunteer that we have to buy every cup of coffee and donut that we can find um, at this hour. And we're turning this into a block party. And as people showed up, church was happening on the sidewalk and on the street. And, and in a little lot across the street and volunteers were handing out coffee and they were handing out donuts uh, in their neighborhood, meeting the neighbors, saying we couldn't meet in there, but that doesn't stop the church from gathering. The church never shuts down. And the pastor said, I'll never forget it. There was a guy that was, he came up to me, he was talking to me, he was on his bicycle and he said, you know, I live in this neighborhood and I know y'all were going in there week in and week out. I would see you go into that building and I knew you were a church, but I didn't really care what you were doing in there. But seeing you out here like this today, y'all just came out here. You didn't have to. Somebody is handing me something to drink. Something, somebody is handing me a pastry to eat and you're being kind to everybody. And he said, now I wanna come. Now I, I wanna see what else is going on in there. And that's the point. When they see the way that we love, they want what we have. And Jesus says, look, I gave my life for them and I gave my life for every person that you ever set your eyes on. And do you know the way that they're gonna see me is through you? Do you know how they're gonna know that I love them? It's by the way that you treat each other. The way that the world will come to know Jesus is through our sacrificial love for each other. We are the house that they come home to. We're the family that they're meant to belong with us. So here's the encouragement this morning. Let us love each other and let us forgive each other and let's speak the truth to each other in love. And if there's bitterness, let's uproot it. If there's resentment, let's go to war against it. If there's an opportunity to serve, let's take advantage of it. And let's be actively loving for the sake of each other and for the sake of the world. Let's show them a better way because the best of all ways was shown to us. That's the church. That's the church. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's what we're offering to you this morning. He's the one who gave everything so that we could live and he's the one who died so that we could become family. All of our hope is in the God who resurrected his son for us. In all of this effort to pull all, just to pull off this gathering today and whoever invited you to be a part of it, the reason that we do this is so that you would know the Jesus that loves us so well, amen. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning. God, we thank you even um, from the beginning of this service, Lord, that um, you were drawing us together. Lord, you've called us to love one another and to carry each other's burdens, to lift each other up, to speak life, to love as brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, help us to love each other. Help us to uproot bitterness, God, to let go of envy, God, to release all of that stuff and to come to the, the foot of the cross, Lord, that you gave your life for us. God, one of the last things you were talking to us about was loving each other, 
for the sake of the world knowing who you are. That's the reason. Lord, help us to love us. God, we surrender to your purpose for us this morning. Your plan and your purpose for us personally, but your plan and your purpose for us. In this community, in this time, in this region, God, in your name we pray.